0: This week on Future of Sex.
1: I think it's so important to tell young people that pleasure doesn't have to be scary. That it it's, I mean, it's a good thing. I would have to say.
0: My favourite porn would definitely be um, Erica Lost's ex-confessions. But um, I actually discovered a woman called Erica Lost and I didn't even know it was happening but I guess I became like a feminist in the last three weeks because I can't watch porn the same like I watch it sometimes but I I can't click on these motherfucking thumbnails not with those titles God crams young girl in the ass with hard ride I can't click on that Dude get sucked off by a midget little person I say to myself takes me hours to find one clip what the hell is this marginally-groomed feminist enjoys consensual sex with a <laughs> vaguely homosexual guy who paints the same color as men.
1: For me, it's very, very important really to use a lot of women in my crew because I can feel there's another atmosphere when I have a lot of women there. And the way that actresses and actors are feeling on my set
0: Hey, I'm Briny and welcome to another episode of Future of Sex, the podcast that explores the evolving worlds of sex and tech. Well, it's been a little break between episodes, but I am so, so, so glad to be back. This episode has been literal, and I hate using that term, but it has been literal years in the making. Erica Lust and I met back in Berlin at Tech Open Air about two years ago now, where we were both sharing a stage to talk about sex. Me about the future, Erica about the state of porn. Now, if you haven't heard the name Erica Lust before, I'm going to tell you a little bit about her. In fact, this episode is all about her journey to becoming an award winning erotic film director. So Erica is a director, she's an incredible author, a mother, just an all-round amazing human who is a delight to be around. And she's currently based in Barcelona, where her company, Erica Lust Films, is based so this episode is recorded over two times that we met, so there's a bit of mixing going on. Um, but most recently, we were together at House of Yes in Brooklyn for a screening of her film where I interviewed her afterwards.
1: It's a good feeling. It's a fantastic feeling. It has to do with, with feeling alive and, and feeling great.
0: In this episode, we dive into how Erica a funny, shy, sweet Swedish girl, came to be Erika Lust, a celebrated director with an eye for eroticism who is spearheading the indie porn movement. Thanks for listening and, of course, we just want to remind you this podcast contains explicit language and adult themes, so make sure you've got headphones in if there are little ones around.
1: I was actually born in Sweden 40 years ago, uh, the year of 77, and I lived half of my life in Sweden and half of my life in Barcelona, Spain. I moved down here when I was around 20. And uh, if we go back and try to understand how I became uh, this person that I am am today, uh, I would say that Sweden is probably uh, a part of of that, uh, because Sweden is a very liberal country uh, when it comes to sexuality and when it comes to women's sexuality when I compare it to to my experience of living in Spain and stories of friends, I do realize that I had something that many people haven't had, and that's great sex education. Really, really, it started early in Sweden. People were not afraid to talk about sex, uh, especially in the schools. Uh, They explained uh, how our body worked, where we you know, where we actually come from. Uh, It's a revolutionary thought for many people, but, you know, we come from sex. We are here because two people at one point actually had sex. There's so few people that was born in a laboratory. It was just, you know, part of the education, part of understanding who we are as human beings. I guess that already when I was 9, 10, 11, uh, these things little by little were explained to us. And we had... Uh, At least when I was 11, 12, we had sexologists coming to our school. So it wasn't just, uh, you know, the biology professor kind of uh, putting, you know, the books up uh, one day and saying, hey, now we are going to study the body and how all of this works. No, it was more... Uh, more natural and we have this sexologist coming in uh, and we were you know talking about sex in small groups uh, girls uh, in one room boys in other rooms some of the sexologists were even men you know which mm. is quite amazing because most most of them are women, you know, most people coming to the schools talking about these things are women, and I think that it was particularly important for the young boys to have, you know, men talking about sex with them. And I think that the the great thing was that they didn't only talk about the challenges and the risks and the, the difficulties around sex. No, they talked about about the good things you know they mm-hmm. talked about the feeling in your stomach when you look at someone that you like they uh, talked about that sex uh, was something great that you could share with someone that that you were attracted to and I think that for me that was essential because that made it so less scary you know, especially when I talk to other people and I hear their stories and they tell me that for them sex education was so much about don't get pregnant and mm-hmm. you know, don't get any sicknesses out of it. And uh, all the HIV uh, information at, at you know that time, that was a huge part of it. You were born in Sweden, obviously, mm. there, until you were about 11. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Totally different attitude there. Mm. I think we're just, I think even now, we're still catching up, aren't yeah, we? Yeah, absolutely. Well, we had our first sort of sex education when I can't have been a day over six. And that was in my kindergarten. And we were shown sort of diagrams that mm. a woman and a man lie together and then they make a baby. And it felt really nice. and oh, what a lovely positive outcome. And I didn't walk away, nobody was giggling out of embarrassment or anything. It was age-appropriate, it was nothing more than that. They didn't Mm. talk about sort of anything else than that. And I I just think that the Swedes definitely have a very unembarrassed view and approach to sex. It's a normal, it's a lovely thing that happens between two people. I think it's so important to tell young people that pleasure doesn't have to be scary. That it, it's—I mean—it's a good thing. Uh, it's a good feeling. It's a fantastic feeling. It has to do with with feeling alive and, and feeling great. So, so this this part of me being Swedish and and being brought up in that context, I think is is, is important, but also uh, the way that Swedish society deals with gender roles and feminism, because that was also a very important part that I had very early on in my education, and in Sweden today. Uh, it is uh, a country where people are aware of feminism and have accepted feminism in another way that they are doing in in other societies, I think.
0: So tell me, what do do you mean by that when you say they've accepted feminism? What is their definition of feminism too in (laughs) Sweden? What does it mean? I feel like it means so many different things to so many
1: different people. For me, feminism has to do with human rights. It has to do with the idea that we are all equals as human beings, men or women, and that we should have the same possibilities and the same resources and be treated the same way and that we should be able to to be whoever we want to be, regardless of if we are... Uh, born as a man or a woman. When I grow up and I uh, got in contact with pornography now we have to remember that society has changed dramatically the last mm. you know 10 15 years when it comes to pornography I think it's important to remember that back then we didn't have you know internet uh, available at mm. every hour on every possible screen uh, you know sometimes I I tell people that We are all walking around with porn in our pockets today. You know, it's crazy, (laughs) but but it's actually true because we have it in our cell phones, in our mobiles. Uh, And we could, you know, just slip into the bathroom or any room Mm. at any time and check it out whenever we want, kind of, for free, you know, with like one click. I mean, if we go back 10, 15 years, Pornography was not available in that sense. But, of course, that has changed uh, everything. That has made porn uh, a mass media, really, and a much more powerful mass media than it was when I grow up. When I grow up, if I wanted to look at sexual explicit images... I had to go looking for them, you know. I had to talk to, to friends or try to buy a magazine or find, you know, a video hidden in, in a friend's home. Uh, sometimes I, I tell people about my first experience with porn, which was actually a friend of mine calling me and a few other girlfriends because she had found a videotape that her father <laughs> had and it had porn on it so we were there you know this little group of, of girls I think we must must have been like 11 12 probably uh, we were very curious and we were like in our pajamas with our popcorns you know looking at for, for the first time a little shocked I think because it was like more silly than I think mm. that we would have expected <laughs>
2: Oh yes, I am the best baby oh, yeah. oh oh that was a tit that is a tit oh. yes
1: And then uh, mm. I went to university, I studied political science, uh, gender studies, and I was a quite regular teenager and young adult, you know interested in sex, wanting to figure out who I was, what I liked. What was my thing, and I turned to porn to try to, you know, see how mm. other people related to each other sexually. And I think still today that that is one of the um, of the reasons, really, why young people are looking at porn. It's because they want to understand what sex is about. I think it's it's difficult when most of the porn that is accessible so quickly today is so bad, Mm -hmm. because most of all these young people that are trying to figure out what sex is about through porn, they find images that are many times aggressive, quite violent, very hard with women. Uh, the role of men is some kind of penetrating sex machine just going in there and like getting it, you know. And the role mm-hmm. of women is so many times reduced to someone that is just uh, trying to give pleasure to these men instead of actually, you know, having a time of, of interchange and both giving and receiving pleasure. Mm-hmm. and for so, me this is one of the big problems with porn today
0: yeah so it's not the problem that porn is the problem
1: no it's not, not, it's not the porn that is the problem it's, it's <laughs> like it's the bad porn that is the problem it's it's the values that you know most of it has become somehow I mean it's obviously these these aggressive values and towards women of course and it's also the many times racist values in it. And the way it's kind of a fetishizing uh, different type of people and puts us into groups and reduces us to things somehow mm-hmm. and doesn't really look at us, you know, as human beings who are sharing an, an important moment together and who are doing, you know, this thing called sex together but most porn is kind of far from really uh showing what sex is like
2: yo hey man i was doing some research for next year and i think i figured out which website i want to subscribe to the Vagtastic Voyage. Which one is the Vagtastic Voyage? The Vagtastic Voyage is the one where they find like random girls on the street and they invite them into a van. And then they bang them once they're on the van. It's like thirteen bucks a month, and you get access to a bunch of other sites, like ones Latina, ones Asian. Um, you know, there's one for fetishes, like feet and pee-pee and shit and stuff like that. It's disgusting. You're like an animal. What? I'm disgusting. You're the weird one, man. Don't make me feel weird because I like porn. You're the weird one for not liking porn. I'm normal as shit. Peeing on people? That's normal? Evan, I'm not saying I'm going to look at it. I'm just saying that it comes with the sight, okay? I don't know what I'm going to be into 10 years from now. I'm just sick of all the amateur stuff, you know? I mean, like, (laughs) if I'm paying top dollar, I want a little production value, you know, like some... Editing, transition, something, some music? Yeah, you know, well, I'm sorry, Evan, that the Coen brothers don't direct the porn that I watch. They're hard to get a hold of, okay? Plus, your parents are going to be looking at the bill, dipshit. Yeah, you're right. I probably should pick the one with the least dirty-sounding name.
0: And so when you were studying political science and you were sort of obviously turning to porn and looking to different things, was this an idea that you were like, wow, there's nothing
1: here for me? Well, (laughs) I I, I kind of got frustrated by it, but it was obviously also a part of me was liking it somehow, of course, otherwise I wouldn't Mm. be here where I am today, right? I Mm. felt that I had this huge conflict in my body. It's like my body did react to it and I got turned on and I liked the feeling of that. But I felt confused and I didn't like what I was looking at. And I didn't like the way I felt that I couldn't really identify with the women. And I didn't find the men very attractive. It wasn't the type of men that I would connect with. And the whole cinematic thing was just missing out. There was no really, there was no context to it. I didn't really understand who these people were, who the character was, how they were related to each other. I felt that I wanted some kind of context. I wanted something more from it. I was looking to feel more. And it didn't happen that way for me. So I felt frustrated by it. And I kind of started to talk to people, you know, during many nights and and days also <laughs> about pornography. Like, what is it with it? Why? Why don't I like it? Why, why don't women connect with it the same way as men do? And little by little, I started to get to, to the idea that it was so focused on male pleasure. And it was always done from the male perspective with the male gaze the women were there you know like fleshing their bodies and you could I mean you could see all the time their breasts and their butts and they were doing all these things for these men it was not from our perspective it was not the way I felt when I had sex myself And I think that's kind of where the idea started in my head, you know, like, so what would I like to see? So I started, you know, internet was advancing at this time and I started to, to search for things and see if I could find something that was actually different. But many times I was disappointed because... When you looked for something that was different, that had more cinematic values, or that was more from a female point of view, then it almost always got very erotic, but erotic in like in that sense of you know romantic somehow. It like a, a man on a white horse and a woman in from <laughs> Italy, and you know they were drinking champagne and making love, kind of. And that wasn't what i was looking for either so i think that that was when i started to you know elaborate on the idea of could i do something different and then in this context i had moved down to barcelona I had my career in political science and it was difficult for me to find a job here. And I needed money, of course, as anyone uh, young who wants to start a life for themselves. So I started to work for some production companies uh, that were doing uh, basically advertising, some television, some films, Uh, nothing adult related, but artificial work. Uh, And I started, you know, just as a a runner, as a chauffeur, uh, I was doing coffees and juices and whatever I could do because I really loved the feeling of being, you know, around film people and on a film set. And one day I just said to myself, I should try to see if I maybe can do an explicit film but with, you know, from my point of view, in my values, with my ideas, if it's, it must be possible, you know, and people are looking at me and they're like, "Eric, I don't know, I don't know, I don't see it, you know, porn is porn. It's like, who wants, who wants something else? I mean, it's just, you know, for, for, for some men anyways, who cares about that? But I felt, no, there must be a way of doing this different. So I wrote a short script and I gathered a little money and I called all my possible friends. <laughs> and I got a camera and I took two days and I shot a short film. And it was a short film called uh, The Good Girl. And when I edited it together and I looked at it, I said... ''Hey, yeah, this is actually possible. This is different.'' I had great reactions from friends, you know, and people around me, like saying, ''Yes, I see it. This is great. You're thinking right.'' But I still didn't know what to do with it. So I sent it to a few festivals and I started to win a few prizes. And more people were telling me that, wow, this is so cool. At this point, this was in 2004, 2005. And at this point, internet had advanced uh, to the level that you could actually stream video because before that it was very difficult to stream video online and also there was this was when you know when the blogs had started to become like very big and I thought okay I'm gonna probably start a blog. This is, I'm going to start talking about this. So I started my little blog, you know, ericalas.com and I started to write about my visions and porn and how I thought it could be different. And then I put my film there. And the fantastic thing that happened was that in just a few weeks, I had had like two millions of downloads of this film. And people... Wow yes wow and I I, seriously I had no clue that that was gonna happen and for me that was a huge moment because that was actually you know the moment where I said wow it's not just me you know we are many there are many people out there who want something different and they see the difference and And this is where Erica Lust, the last part was born then This was when the last part was born exactly because this was when i said i should make more you know and then i needed to create a company and i said i'm gonna call the company last films because i thought that last was exactly you know that word that i was missing out on in porn i wanted something more lustful i was just erica but then one day i kind of you know started to call myself Erica Lust because I thought it was, you know, catchy and cute and a little vintage because it was like, you know, somehow this this name that 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 some porn stars had in the 60s and 70s. And I hear people tell me all all the time that, oh my God, thank you, Erica, because I thought that when I looked at the porn tubes online, I thought that women came from just pure penetration because that's what you see all the time. And I thought that there was something wrong with me because I never came from just penetration. I always need to stimulate myself. You know, people tell me that all the time and then they say, hey, I watch your films and I see... But in your films, the actresses normally they are touching themselves <laughs> when they are coming, you know? Mm-hmm. So so I also think that that there's a lot of mislearning, a lot of, of, of you know, of mislearning when it comes to sex in pornography. And I think it's important that we start to that we start to realize that porn is not a pure representation of sex. Porn is a fictional, you know, idea, idealist idea of sex. It's an illusion of sex. And it's the way that the creators want it to be. I hope that we will see more diversity, that we will uh, see more points of view of women because, I mean men are totally dominating pornography. That's still how it is. and I really really hope that that will change. Uh, one thing when I try to look for mainstream porn that I I miss most is men you know it's like where are the men I only see mm. their penises you know come mm. on show me their faces, their emotions. I want them to to be treated like human beings, not like these penetrative sex machines. you know, punish fucking women all the time. Um, but what I really, really can see is that people are people are very hungry for, for sex related uh, storytelling because many people use pornography. To get inspired, obviously, and to broaden their own, uh, you know, their own sexual fantasy world, And and then we have to look at who is making porn today. And when we look at that group, it's obvious to me that it's a small group of of men. Most of them are are white heterosexual middle aged men who has this idea of like butts and breasts and you know it's like ass and boobs and uh, that's kind of what they want from from porn and that's not what I want from porn and I feel that there's so many more people like me wanting you know something else from porn what you started out by saying was like people are going to this for education
0: and it may not just be for um looking at people in terms of like this is how sex works the penis goes in the vagina or wherever but like for people's faces and things that happen and the fact that you may not have an orgasm through just penetration right. only so and,
1: and remember that sex as education is so much broader than just you know kids learning how we do people kind of you know <laughs> <laughs> it's so much more than that. You know, we look we look at this because we want to understand. Maybe we want to understand more about domination and, and submission. And I made, you know, I made a, a few very good films showing that kind of relationships between people and how, how do they connect in that kind of, of, of sessions. This happened especially after, after, you know, all this 50 shades of gray. Yeah. Mm. Uh, When it (laughs) entered the mainstream media, of course it entered the mainstream media. It was a huge thing. Suddenly everybody was interested in in domination and submission and but people didn't really understand what it was, and the book was so bad at really explaining it, you know. So it really gave a lot of misconceptions to people. And uh, there, after that, I realized that people needed to understand more of how it's actually done, and what are you know the feelings between these people when they're involved in a, a session, for example, a session with a master or with a domina. What's behind mm-hmm. that? I mean, there's so few films also talking about this kind of things because there's porn, of course, showing pure sex, uh, but then on the other hand, I mean. Hollywood mainstream is really bad at telling us anything uh, when it comes to sex, because you know how it is. It's a kiss and then everything is dark and then there's a sheets and then it's the day after, you know, and they are wearing bras all the time. And you're like, what happened? They didn't even touch each other. <laughs> uh, and then there's the, and then of course there's indie cinema, which is a lot better at showing sexual relationships. But still, it's difficult because most of the indie cinema is very into the very problematic, tra- traumatic uh, situations when it comes to sex. You know, like nymphomaniac or or that kind of movies. Uh, so it's very difficult to find, you know, like sex positive movies talking about how people interact sexually what I hope if I can leave you know as last thing a hope for the future what I really hope for is that more more people and especially more women uh, will start to dare with this genre of pornography because I think that it can be great. I think that porn can be amazing and I think that it really can help us to relax when it comes to sex, to get a better understanding of sex, to find uh, joy and and pleasure and to learn more about ourselves. Uh, But I think that we need better porn and we need more people uh, involved in the movement of making better porn.
0: Yes, and thank you for dedicating dedicating your life to doing that, you know, and to inspiring other people to get involved and to see a different
1: way. And thank you so much for helping me spreading the word.
0: That brings our episode to a close today, but this is not the last time you'll be hearing from Erica. The next episode will delve into what goes on both in front of the camera and behind the camera, so the production process. But for now, we'll leave you with this clip.
1: Well, especially what I what I always felt was that when I had more men behind the camera, um, especially more heterosexual men, what they were looking for was the same as women the most beautiful image the thing was that what they found was the most beautiful image was always the female body and it's often that's what they like wanted to the... show you know and right. i don't want to show only that i i love men i love a uh, male body and i want to show that and i want to show the expression of having sex i want to show his eyes and you know, his 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 feelings and his emotions. I mean, when I when I shoot sex, I don't want to show only what it looks like. I really want to show what it feels like. And that's kind of different, you know, because if you only want to show what it looks like, then you're like, okay, so here you have this couple on the sofa and well, put the camera out here and we'll see what happens. But if you want to show what it feels like, you kind of have to get in there. You have to feel the skin. You have to get closer. You have to change the lens.
0: This podcast was produced and edited by Chad Michael Snavely. To get in touch or check out the other podcasts Chad is producing, visit chadmichael.com. And if you have questions or feedback or just want to keep up with what I'm doing, follow me on Instagram at futureofsex or you can drop me an email, briny, B-R-Y-O-N-Y at futureofsex.org. Again, thanks for listening. If you feel moved, leave me a review or a rating. I always love seeing them. And we'll be back with part two very soon.